Podcast. What is up, College Across fans? I'm here and I'm live today. I, did, I didn't do the podcast this morning, so I figured I would do it uh, this evening and that I would just pop it up live and maybe we'll do this more often. I'm not sure. We'll see how many people interact and how it does. Usually what I find with the live streams is they do crappy at some point and then uh, they, they don't do perform as well as the other videos in terms of overall views. But all I care about, if it gets three or 400 YouTube views, then it's fine by me because the audio version will more than make up for that. So let me get into this now. As always, you can go to laxfactor.com, support us that way. I'll touch on that a couple of times here throughout the, the episode. One thing I'm going to kind of use is my notes because I'm kind of flying by the seat of my pants here as I'm uh, drinking fiddleheads is what I'm drinking here. It, uh, you know, so is, uh, I'm going to kind of go off this lacrosse bucket article. This uh, Tanner uh, from lacrosse bucket did a good job of kind of recapping what we have to look forward to this week. And uh, so I'll look at that a little bit, but a couple of things. I'm going to dive right into it here. I wanted to talk about this um, upset that Florida, what is it, Florida Southern had over Lemoyne, which was pretty crazy. And and it, it it felt a lot like some of the upsets we've seen here at the Division One level here thus far. But anyway, as you kind of look at it, Lemoyne had a lead early on, three one at the end of the first. Six to four at the end of the half, and then Florida Southern just came out in that third quarter and played absolutely insane. They finished the second half with the last two goals of the half, then they scored the first two goals of the second half, and at this point we're tied up six up. Lemoyne chipped back and took the lead again. That's got to got to kind of be deflating for a team like Florida Southern, where you're executing your game plan, you got back in the game, and then you kind of give up a goal six minutes later to let LeMoyne take the lead a little over halfway through the third. But nope, they didn't get down. They kept executing their game plan, and they scored four more goals. And once again, LeMoyne ties it back up again, but this time it was Florida Southern who answered scoring the last two goals of the ball game to take that two-goal lead. The, they scored a goal to go up with 334 left. Jay Miner unassisted, and then Jeff Atlas scores one a minute 24 left in the game to, that's kind of the, what do they call that? The That's the goal that, you know, buried LeMoyne in the end here. As we look at the team stats, things were pretty even here. You look at LeMoyne put more shots on cage. Florida Southern was just a little bit more uh, solid. Now, the big thing here was in cage for Florida Southern, and I did see this when we looked at it, when I looked at it over the weekend, was Florida, Florida Southern's goalie ended up having a great game. 12 saves versus 10 goals against for Maxwell Freestone, and that is a dope name on top of it, Maxwell Freestone. I'm kind of a big fan of that. And then Frank Delia, who kind of has played tough this year so far, he had a rough outing, just six saves against 12 goals against. So that was huge in terms of the battle of the goalies. And the goalie that played better, obviously, in this case, won the game because it was a close game. And then if we look at the face-off dot battle, LeMoyne got beat at the dot by Kevin Horwitz. Goes 15 of 25. And I mean, I hate putting... I've been putting a lot of emphasis lately on what happens at the faceoff dot because it's so important. When you're playing a close game like this and you win 15 to 25 of the draws and your goalie makes 12 saves against 10 goals against and the other team's goalie doesn't match that, in a close game, that more often than not results – it's it, it's not 
always the case, but if, if you win both the goalie battle and the battle at the faceoff dot, more often than not, you're going to win. I should really look up some games here to try to figure out if that's true or not. It's got to be true, though, I would assume, right? So that's huge. A hell of a job by Florida Southern. If we look at the cause turnovers, this Nick Shannon kid here, he ends up with five cause turnovers, six GBs. Look at the dude. He's got the dope hair. He's got a little bit of scruff on him, wearing a tie, looking all sharp kid from Boynton Beach, Florida. But yeah, hell of a game here. Let's see what he's done so far this season. And that's his his season high in, in terms of cause turnovers. What a, what a game to pick to have your season high in turnovers. You know, five cause turnovers, six GBs, only one turnover himself. You know, that you just can't ask ask for more. But it wasn't it didn't stop there in terms of the the statistical prowess of everybody in this game. Everybody played well. From what I understood, it looks like Florida, yeah, Florida Southern. We we get Jeff Atlas two and two, uh, Matt. Holy cow, I got to pronounce that. Flaminspec. All right, it wasn't as bad as I thought. Two and zero. Oh, good, you know, not the greatest uh, shooting percentage here, but hey, two and two and a win. That's big. And then they just kind of filled it out here. Down, they ended up having one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine guys that put up two points, well, one point or more, you know. And then they have the one guy with the big points here. So. Hell of a job by Florida Southern, upsetting Lemoyne. Who do they have next? Let's see. Florida Southern now plays Lynn next this weekend on Saturday. And I don't know who Lemoyne plays. I bet you Lemoyne battles back, though, and I bet you they get themselves a big win here coming up. Another game that I wanted to talk about, and I wouldn't call this one necessarily an upset. What I would call this game here is just it's it's to a degree I figured Bucknell would end up playing tough. Bucknell right now sitting at five and one. So they're not looking too shabby. Penn State at two and five. And Penn State started to play a little bit better. And I actually thought as well as they were playing uh lately, or, or at least when they when they hung with Penn and everything like that, I figured, all right, they, they, maybe they're going to start handling their non-conference schedule from here. Not the case as they've kind of faltered again. And don't get me wrong. Losing to Bucknell, especially this season, there, there's no crime in that at all. Bucknell is a very good lacrosse team, but I was a little bit surprised. I thought I thought Penn State would end up winning in a very close game, and I was pleased to see Bucknell, another New York team, I was pleased to see them get the win. And as we kind of see here, Bucknell came out firing first. They scored two goals in the 12-minute area, between 12 and 13 minutes into the, or, you know, a couple minutes into the, the first quarter. And then Penn State answers, Bucknell answers, and we're up 3-3. And it kind of went back and forth a little bit here. Through most of this game, it was close like this before Bucknell gets a two-goal lead just before the half. And then Bucknell gives up a goal to Penn State. They score, and they you can see they kept it spread out here until they kind of gave up a couple of late goals to Penn State, which allowed them back in the game. But just a hell of a job by the Bison. To Is it Bisons, plural, or is Bison also the plural? Is it like deer? I'm not sure here. We're going to have to find out. We look at the stats pretty pretty close all the way through. In terms of goalie saves, Penn State actually won that battle by a little bit. Turnovers, Penn State turned the ball over 25 times. That is a recipe for disaster. Clears, 22 of 27 for, for Penn State, 18 of 26 for Bucknell. So the clearing was abysmal for both of these teams. Ground ball battle, Bucknell won. In terms of faceoffs, that was almost 50-50. And Penn State was even 3-3 three, three and three in terms of the um, man-up situations. And Bucknell was 0-2. So if you looked at that stat line, I would almost think, well, Penn State probably won this in a squeaker. 
But then as we kind of get into the actual player statistics and we come down to the goalie battle, this was where Penn State fared a little bit better here. Rich O'Halloran ends up with 10 saves off eight goals against for Bucknell. So he ended up playing tough, played the bulk of the game here. But uh, yeah, and Penn, Penn State's split in time because this Alaric Fiak has been tough for Penn State at times. And he ends up getting the loss in this one. And so, you know, 13 saves from 12 goals against versus 11-11. So I guess the goalie battle was kind of a wash here. And then, as we said, with the faceoff dot, Bucknell lost the bulk of the faceoffs to Penn State here. Uh, Bo, Hudson took a, uh, Bo Hudson took all of them for Penn State. But even that was a close stat. So in the end, it just came down to balls. Who had the bigger balls? And it ended up being Bucknell. They win this game by a goal. They were a little bit more productive in terms of getting points. And uh, that's what happened. Alston Terry, 3-0. and Nick Cravado, 2-0. and A lot of, a lot, you know, kind of a total team effort as we look down the box score here. We end up with 11 guys or so that had a point, at least a point. And as we look at Penn State's, it's a very similar thing. Pretty spread out, but not quite as spread out as Bucknell's. In terms of cause turnovers, did Bucknell have any standouts? Eh. Reed uh, Delo, I don't even know how to pronounce that. Reed Delanoy or Delona, I don't know. This Reed dude, number 28 for Bucknell, he ends up with three cause turnovers and three GBs, so that's not too bad. But I was surprised at that outcome. Good for Bucknell. I'm glad to see them win that game. And then one I wanted to talk about briefly here, too, because it was a pretty dope game over the weekend, was Loyola beating Duke. And once again, another great game. Loyola, though, and this this has happened to Duke a lot where Loyola got a big lead, they were up big, and then Duke kind of battled back way too late in the game. But, I mean, you look at it, at one point Loyola was up 10-2, to 12-3, and then they started, the wheels came off a little bit here at the end of the third where Loyola kind of started letting Duke chip back, but it didn't matter. I mean, they didn't get within two goals until 32 seconds left. But it, it's just crazy to see Duke be that anemic through most of the game and then dominate from the end of the third quarter through to the fourth. They just needed to do that the whole game, and this would have been a very different outcome. But Loyola ends up doing their job. And then as we look at the individual stats here, one of the very first things I wanted to see was Loyola fared very well at the faceoff dot. Bailey Savio has been very streaky for Loyola, especially this season, but he wins 8 of 15. Eric Pacheco, he goes 6 of 9, and together they win 14 of 24 faceoffs. That was huge in terms of winning the possession battle. Adler actually played admirably in cage for Duke. If Adler didn't have the game he had, it would have been even uglier than this. So he did not have a rough game. And I would, if I didn't watch the game, which I did, I would have immediately saw the score and thought, well, Adler must have had a, a down game. He did not. And then Schaefer himself didn't play amazingly well. This was legitimately an insane defensive effort for, by Loyola. If you watch Duke play offense this entire game, they could not win one-on-one matchups. They didn't move the ball well. Loyola's defenders had sticks up in passing lanes all game long. Didn't take the ball away a ton in terms of forced turnovers. They just won their one-on-one matchups. The, the short stick mids won most of their matchups when they were tested. The long poles did a great job against the Duke attack and against the top Duke midfielders. So it was legitimately a total team effort in terms of defensive effort out of Loyola. And I would say it's one of those games where, sure, Loyola outscored Duke, but the defense of Loyola won this game by holding Duke to 10 goals. It was, it was absolutely bonkers. They got back on defense incredibly well. 
And then as we look at Duke, Brendan O'Neill, he had a decent game, four goals, 10 shots. That's pretty productive for him. They held Nakai Montgomery scoreless, albeit he had two assists. And then you kind of see the other guys, Joe Robertson, nothing. Dyson Williams, nothing. They played really well off ball all game long. So that kind of hurt the game of some of these other Duke finishers. And uh, that's, that's the story here, man. So Loyola did a hell of a job. Now we get into the preview portion of everything here. So let's hit up the lacrosse bucket site right here. And for anybody that happens to be watching, I'm doing this at a kind of an odd time, but if you want to throw out a, a comment, pick a game that you want me to look up that's being played this weekend, and I'll talk about it if it's not already on the list here. Uh, and then ask me anything else. You just want to ask random questions like, what delicious beer am I drinking right now? It's Fiddlehead. Oh, God, that's good. So good when it hits your lips. So you know what? I am going to not read through this here. I'm just going to fly by the seat of my pants and rip through these previews from uh, Inside Lacrosse. This is the one I'm the most excited about. Cuse does play Stony Brook this weekend, but I'm going to have to watch this game. This is a very important watch for me here. Big game. We've got Maryland against Virginia, both teams perfectly sitting at 6-0 and right now. It's Connor Schellenberger, number one, with 40 points coming into the game against Logan Wisnowskis, the other number one, with 35 points coming into the game. Right now, there is no question in my mind, at least, that the best player in the country at this moment is Connor Schellenberger. And yes, you could say, well, he's got the most help, but that Virginia's played a tough schedule so far, and he has done nothing short of impress week in and week out. As we look at what he's done here so far, two and five against Air Force, one and five against High Point, two and three against Towson, three and four against Cuse, three and five against Hopkins, and four and three against Carolina. The dude has put up, is that what? Five, at least five points in every game and at least six points in every other game. And he's hit seven points three times and had an eight-point game. It's just like, what the hell, man? This kid is playing off the wall. And then you look at his shooting percentages off the charts, too. He's shooting 50% overall. But, I mean, his last three games, shooting the rocket, 60% against Q, 75% against Hopkins, and then 67% against uh, North Carolina. So the kid's starting to figure it out, and he's playing his best lacrosse right now against his toughest to competition that he's played. I mean, Syracuse might not be the toughest competition, but I mean, they're right now, it, it would appear they're in the top three of their schedule. Hopkins, no slouch. And then North Carolina is also tough. So Connor Schellenberger right now, by far, in my opinion, the best player in the country, Logan Wazowskis, he's right up there. The other number one here in uh, 20 and 20 and 15. And as it look, if, as you kind of look at it here, you can see Maryland does spread it out a little bit more and they don't score quite as many points per game overall. And I don't even know if that's true, if Maryland is spreading it out a little bit more. And eh, not really. So as you look at Wisnowskis and Schellenberger, Wisnowskis is a very different player than Schellenberger. Wisnowskis can dodge and he can do all that stuff, but primarily he, he, he does his mo most of his damage off ball, whereas Schellenberger will snipe you off ball, will snipe you on the dodge, will dish and feed, and Wisnowskis can actually feed pretty well as also. So what I'm looking for in terms of this battle isn't who wins this battle here? It's who wins the battle of like the top five. And as we look at the top five guys for each, Donville has been incredible off ball, running around for Maryland. He's the Cornell transfer at 15 and five. Well, Virginia's second leading scorer is sitting at 21 and three. You know, so they're semi close and they both they don't have a similar game in any way. I would more equate Peyton Cormier and Wisnowskis are very close, I think, overall in playing style. 
And then you'd kind of say, like, maybe a Keegan Kahn is closer to a Schellenberger. He's just a shell of a player compared to Schellenberger, even though Keegan Kahn is pretty filthy in his own right. So I think that in the end, especially Matt Moore has been playing really well lately. Xander Dixon's been playing incredible. Been playing really well off ball. Just has a nasty quick stick where, I mean, you feed him on the crease and the ball's going to be in his stick for a frat. It's like literally the, the definition of a quick stick is what Xander Dixon's been doing so far. Griffin shuts the big mid. So these teams offensively, they match up very well against each other. What I think, where I think Virginia has a slight advantage is I think that Virginia's defense right now, they're playing tough, and I think that Virginia's defense is going to be able to press Maryland, Maryland a little bit, and I think Maryland has a few less ball carriers that are deadly. So I think that in that way, I think it favors Virginia just a touch. So offensively, Virginia has the advantage, I think, ever so slightly over Maryland in terms of just depth. And then some their bigger guns, I think, are slightly bigger guns than Maryland's big guns are. I think in terms of in the cage, you got to go with McNaney for his his experience. I think that's going to say a lot. The Corning kid, Section 4 kid, Hala. And then Matthew Nunes has been playing tough, though. The kid's a freshman, but he seems like he's got a full season of experience under his belt already in his first six games. He's been playing well, both sitting at a similar save percentage. I think Maryland's schedule's been just a touch tougher than Virginia's, although I could eat shit on that one and be totally wrong. But, you know, I think in terms of the goalie battle, I do give a slight edge to McNaney simply because he is a veteran. He's been there before, done that. Whereas Nunes is a rookie. So do, do the emotions in this game get to the rookie? Does he shit his pants a little bit during the game? Maybe. He might. We don't know here. And then in terms of the faceoff dot, I think Wehrman has proven to be one of the toughest guys at the dot in the country. And they've been using Gavin Ty, who's actually a Virginia transfer, as kind of an offset change of pace guy where Wehrman maybe needs a spell or where he has struggled. So in that light, I think that... that between PD LaSala, I, I call the faceoff dot a wash here. I think LaSala, even if he doesn't win the bulk of the draws, I think he's more likely to put up some points in this game, a goal, maybe an assist, maybe a goal and an assist. So I'm going to call the faceoff dot a wash because Weirman has proven time and time again that he's he is one of the best in the game at this moment. And I think that with I think it's going to be a, a very interesting battle, especially where Ty gets a couple of runs here and there. Because both of these guys are sitting above above 58%. So that'll be interesting to see. Let's compare the point totals, though. Let's see what Wehrman has done in terms of points. Wehrman's got four goals and a helper compared to LaSala's five goals. So, man, maybe I give a slight edge to Maryland at the faceoff dot. As much as I hate to say that because I do love me some Petey fucking LaSala, I think I'm going to have to give Wehrman an ever-so-slight edge, not even just because of Wehrman, but because of Gavin Ty. Also, former teammate of Petey fucking LaSala. So we'll go with that here. we got to give Maryland an edge somewhere. I've already given – now Maryland has the edge very slightly at the dot and the edge a little bit more slightly in cage. And then, like I said, if we talk about defense and all that crap, I can't sort things here. Maryland has a very formidable defense. you got Ray Hill. Oh, I just selected everything. I didn't want to do that. You've got Ray Hill in here. He has, what is that, 10 cause turnovers so far this season. You've got Roman Pugliese running up and down like an animal, uh, SS uh, short stick D mid. So he's a monster also. You got Bubba Fairman is even playing um, some short stick D mid. Very athletic. And then John Gepper at LSM. You know, so, I mean, Maryland is a very formidable defense. What I think that Virginia has done a little bit better thus far is kind of play 
insane team defense, and I like Virginia's style of defense a little bit better in this one, especially the way that it matches up against Maryland. Maryland is a – they run a, a solid offense. Guys are pretty much just like Virginia, playing almost positionless lacrosse at times. And I just think that where Virginia has the advantage is defensively, they're going to match up well against Maryland's Dodgers. And I think that there is no good matchup against Virginia's Dodgers because if you shut down Schellenberger, then Moore is going to sting you. If you shut down both of them because you're sending a lot of help, then Peyton Cormier and Xander Dixon are going to sting you. And then some of these other Dodgers, you know, they can they can do damage as well. So I give the slight edge to Virginia defensively just based on matchups. And that's where this game's kind of a wash in terms of who knows. It's kind of a coin flip as to who is going to win it. But in the end, I think that Virginia has a slight edge. I think that you have Connor Schellenberger on your team, and then you also have Matt Moore and Peyton Cormier. Matt Moore, in his own right, is a superstar lacrosse player, will be a top-five PLL pick. I think that that's going to be a little bit too much star power. I think Virginia is going to come away from this game 7-0, and and Maryland's going to come away from this game 6-1. and I said it. Someone had to say it. Virginia's going to win this game by a goal or two, is what I predict. Now, I think probably... The second best game of the weekend is going to be the Ivy. We have the Ivy Leagues starting to kick off here. Ah, Oh, it's so good when it hits your lips. And Princeton and Penn. I think this is going to be the biggest Ivy League game thus far this season. If we kind of look at what they've both done so far, Penn has lost to Georgetown in their season opener. That was a hell of a game. And then they beat Duke, Penn State, and Villanova. You know, the Duke one. Hell of a win right there. Penn State, they probably should have beat Penn State the way that Penn State's playing. But at that, that was the point where I thought, Penn State, hey, Penn State's not playing too bad. They hung with Penn. And then they beat Vanilla by, or Vanilla, Villanova by a goal as well. And then we look at Princeton, Monmouth and Binghamton, who cares? Big yawn. Played kind of tough with Maryland. And then they beat Georgetown and they beat Rutgers. So P- Princeton is legit. And I think both P- Penn and Princeton, in fact, are totally legit. And why is that? Well, big reason, Alex Slusher here, 18 and five so far, Chris Brown, 12 and 10, uh, Sam English, 10 and seven. They're, they're, they're getting con- contributions from their top guys at a big level. Penn, who kind of bled talent and lost a bunch of talent to other teams. Uh, Garagar has played great, 16 goals and no helpers. That's the epitome of a goal scoring freak. Sam Handley, very solid, seven and five. James Shipley, six and one. Offensively, I, I the way Princeton has been playing, especially who they've played thus far in their last three games, I give Princeton the slight edge offensively over Penn. But don't get me wrong, it, it is going to be a dogfight. I think this is going to be a hell of a game, top to bottom. I just think that the way Princeton's been playing offense lately is really, really tough. In terms of the battle in the cage, one hundred percent. This goes to Eric Peters. I had said in the Maryland game, Peters had to have a big game for them to hang. He had a huge game. And then in their last two games, Peters, as we just kind of look at his stats here so far, save percentage, 60%, 67, 56, 68, and 66. And he's played solid against the top the, the top three teams they played so far. 56% against Maryland, against a very good offensive Georgetown team, 68%, and then against Rutgers, 66 And in terms of the number of saves, 19 saves against Maryland, 17 saves against Georgetown, and, you know, a mere 21 saves against Rutgers, who has been pretty solid here also. More than pretty solid. Offensively, 
that's kind of what I I would expect to see when you're when Rutgers is playing a very good goalie is that that very good goalie is going to have a great day because Rutgers from a shooting perspective definitely not the team they were last year in terms of their goal scoring prowess but still a hell of a lacrosse team either way so Peters is huge he I, if if Princeton wins this game it's going to be because Peters put up another 15 to 19 saves or so that's going to be huge so slight edge to Princeton in the on offense a big edge, I think, at this point to Princeton in cage. We got Birkinshaw, the uh, the uh, what was Bir- he, Birkinshaw's a Virginia transfer, I think. He's been solid for Penn here. Let's see how consistent he has been. You know, he had one down game against Duke, and then he's been good against Penn State and Villanova. So we can't we can't slam Birkinshaw here. And uh, and then Emmett Carroll apparently has played. I'm wondering what game he played in. Did he play in their most recent game? He played against Georgetown, so he played earlier in the season. So uh, defensively, Princeton, I think defensively, Princeton is is playing defensively like one of the best teams in the country right now. Their team defense has been off the charts, so I give Princeton a slight edge defensively as well. And then in terms of the faceoff dot, Sandoval has been very good for Princeton thus far, winning 57% of his draws, and Penn doesn't have an answer for him at all. So I think overall, I think it, kind of if I give Princeton the edge in all facets of play, I don't know if that translates to a win, but if I had to pick a winner, I'm picking Princeton by one to three goal margin or so, but I think that it will for sure be a dogfight, and it's going to be in Princeton. Uh, so they're playing the game. Yeah, uh, Penn is playing the game on the road, so I think that helps. And then I think another potentially insane game, probably a game I should be going to since I live right down the road. Well, not right down the road, but it's like 45 minutes from here. So Cornell and Yale. And this one, I think, will be a dogfight as well. I do like Cornell. I think Cornell wins probably in most of the the areas. I think the best player on the field overall in, is, in this game is going to be Matt Brandau for Yale. I think that C.J. Kirst and Piatelli and them are behind him for sure. Brandau, you know, he's, he's a, a top-level talent depending on who he has helping him, and that's been their problem so far. Doesn't necessarily have the help offensively yet that, that Yale would need to try to make a real run at winning the Ivy. But make no mistake, Brandau must see TV. The dude is a dodger. He can do a little bit of everything, but he is a big-time dodging threat and will score the rock carrying the ball himself. But in the end, I still give a slight edge here to Cornell. I think they just have a little bit more depth at the top of, top of their roster, and that's going to help them. And then Paquette has played really well for Yale, as has Chase Erlin. So I'm going to call the goalie battle here a wash at this point between the two teams. We look at the faceoff dot and Angelo Petrakis for Cornell has he's only sitting at 52%, which isn't leaps and bounds. It's tied here with Nicholas Ramsey for Yale. But Petrakis has actually done battle against some of the best faceoff guys in the country thus far. He played against Sisselberger at Lehigh. He wins 50%. He split him with Sisselberger. And then he played Hobart. And who is Hobart's faceoff guy? I'm gonna have to look this up because it's gonna bug me. But Hobart's faceoff guy. It's not showing me. Whoever, face off, uh, whoever faces off for Hobart, the dude does a hell of a job as well, but Petrakis ended up beating him as well. Then he plays Inacio and company at Ohio State, beats them up, and Penn State gave him a little bit of trouble, and that's going to happen here. But I, I like Petrakis at the faceoff dot in this game as well. And then, like I said already, defensively, I think overall Cornell, in terms of team defense, one of the better teams overall here. You got this Joseph Bartolotto, the third. He's got nine cause turnovers. Uh, Dom Doria has been playing tough, seven cause turnovers. I think overall, just, just slightly better 
defensively. I think Cornell's a slightly better lacrosse team all around than Yale. I think it's going to be a dogfight, but once again, Yale's traveling to play Cornell. So in the end, I would probably give the nod to Cornell. Once again, I, I don't think this goes much in favor of either team. It's going to be a one-to-three one goal game. I think if Yale wins, they win by a goal. I think Cornell can get this spread out to as many as three, maybe even five goals, although I'd be surprised. I think it'll probably be within a three-goal game. But I like Cornell. I like Cornell to win this one. I'm only covering this one. I think Notre Dame's going to win this game. Notre Dame has to win this game, or they'll, just like Syracuse, they'll drop out of the top 20. I think they will. Uh, we saw kind of what Michigan was made of. I've been chirping Michigan all year. They had wins here. They, they By the time they got to Delaware, they were, what, 6-0, and and they had played exactly nobody. Delaware, they ended up handling them, so I was like, ah, shit, they're probably going to beat Harvard. I think I picked Michigan to beat Harvard slightly, and then Harvard came out and, to a degree, handled Michigan. So I end up liking Notre Dame to win this game. I think offensively, it's probably pretty close because Josh Zawada is filthy, and then Boehm and Cohen have played really tough. Bonomi. Now, granted, some of these stats are misleading because they've played six games against six of the worst teams in Division I, period. But, you know, I still think that in the end, the, uh, offensively, it, it, they're pretty close, but I still like the depth overall and the quality of depth in Notre Dame, so I give them the slight edge there. Goalkeeping, even though Shane Carr has played tough, Liam Entman, despite his very poor save percentage thus far, that very poor save percentage has come against Georgetown, Maryland, and Ohio State. You know, so I mean, he, they've played a rough schedule thus far. You can't be mad at him for really losing any of those games. So I think Entman's going to have a big day against Michigan. And I, I think that this could be closer than a lot of people think. Uh, I don't know what the spread is on Las Vegas lines or whatnot, but I would say that I'd like Michigan by three to five goals in this one, and then that uh, the wheels will come off. Or I like Notre Dame by three to five goals in this one, and then I think from there the wheels come off for Michigan because if we look at their schedule from here, it's brutal. We have Notre Dame, Hopkins, Maryland, Penn State. They should be able to pull one out against Penn State and then Rutgers and Ohio State. It is, it is a brutal schedule, so I pick Notre Dame in that one. And then we get Patriot League action starting up here. So we'll have Loyola, who just came off the win against Duke, playing against Bucknell, who's happily sitting at 6-1. and one. Aiden Olmstead will probably be the best player in the field. He's been playing a little bit tougher lately. He kind of had a slow start to the season, three points, four, and then he had a seven-point game against Rutgers. Got slowed down against Towson, but now, you know, six goals or six points against Lafayette and then three assists against Duke. So that's big. So he's going to be key. Poitras has been playing well. Lindley's been playing well. So I give the edge to Loyola. Offensively, I probably would end up giving the edge ever so slightly to Bucknell. I just think that we have a little, a couple more stars on the Loyola team. So I think, honestly, if I were to say, hey, overall as an offensive team, who's playing better? Probably Bucknell gets the slight edge offensively. In terms of the cage... It hasn't been great for either of these teams. Sam Schaefer has had a rough go thus far, but you kind of see here, rough go all around. He's had one good game so far, and the rest have been pretty bad. So we're going to call this a wash because Bucknell's been struggling a little bit in cage as well. Faceoff dot, edge goes to Bucknell here. Nick Cravato has, is definitely having a better season than Bailey Savio at this stage. And then overall, I think in terms of team defense, Loyola, they've struggled. They're good when, they, when they're when they playing solid lacrosse like against Duke, and, and, and they played one of their best. I don't think they're going to play a better defensive game all year than they played against Duke. Duke was – that was just an insane game overall. But, uh, you know, I think, I think that legitimately 
I, I think Bucknell has a chance to win this game. I'm going to call this one a wash coin flip. I'm not even going to pick it. I think that Bucknell has a chance to win, but coming off that Duke game, can Loyola string two really solid games together and pull off their first Patriot League win of the season? That would be, we got to see. Another big Patriot game, Patriot League game, Army and Lehigh. Obviously, I like Army. I think Army has the advantage offensively simply because they have Brendan Nick turn and Lehigh doesn't. I do like Tommy Schelling, although he's played a little bit slower than I thought he would. Moule is also very good, but I definitely give offense. Uh, uh, Bobby Abshire was a Syracuse killer, the A-hole. Uh, Reese Burrick is good. So definite advantage to Army here. And then as we go through goalie, definite advantage to Army. Wyatt Schupler, an insane goalkeeper. I love that kid. Faceoff dot. Give the edge to Sisselberger. The Army's core of faceoff men, Coletti, uh, uh, Graber, and them, they'll do okay. But Sisselberger is, you know, one of the top five faceoff guys in the country. So Army will probably have their hands full with that. If Sisselberger can win out big time, that's going to be what Lehigh needs to win this game. If, if Sisselberger only wins 60% of the draws, I like Army to win this game by three to five goals or so. If Sisselberger can win the bulk of the draws, like the over overwhelming bulk of the draws, then Lehigh has a legitimate chance. Defensively, definitely favors Army. So I think overall, Army the better team, and I think you're going to see Army pull the win out in this one as well. I'm talking about this one just because Ohio State, they had their first little blemish here, a little pimple on their uh, losing to Cornell here, but then they kind of backed that up, came right back, bounced back, and beat Notre Dame. I think overall, offensively, no question, Ohio State's playing better lacrosse. J.J. Silstrop's been really the only super consistent player for Denver offensively, Jack Hanna has struggled mightily shooting. He did kind of look like he was going to start to clean it up. You can see his shooting percentage has been better over the last four games than it was over the first three games, which it was abysmal. But he still had a big fat offer here against Canisius even with how many shots did he take? Five shots. So it wasn't a big presser in that game. So that if Hanna, when Hanna's playing well, Denver can beat anybody and can hang with anybody. When Hannah's not shooting the ball well, Denver's going to struggle. And I think I give Ohio State the – they have an advantage at every area of the field here. Offensively, they are the much better team and the much deeper team overall. Not that Denver's not deep. You look at their points. They've got a lot of guys above 15 points. They have more guys above 15 points than Ohio State does. But the top half between Jackson Reed uh, – well, Jack Myers, Jackson Reed, and Kobe Smith – they are very good, and they play very well together, even right down to Jason Knox, a goal-scoring threat. In cage, that's where I'd still say Caton Johnson. He's gotten more reps, and he's been more consistent. Cole French, been playing the backup to Jack Thompson, but they still end up splitting time, and one of those goalies always has someone looking over his shoulder. So had to look at the light outside. So I, Ohio State, I think, has the edge in cage just in terms of consistency overall. Faceoff dot and Asio is one of the best in the country. Now, Stathakis can hold his own against anyone. Very formidable and very solid, but Anasio has been a freak so far this year. And then, you know, off or defensively, I think definitely Ohio State's been more consistent defensively. So I think Ohio State wins this game. I'd be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised to see it be one or two goals, but I think Ohio State wins this game by three plus. So, you know, it could be three goals, six goals, who knows? But I think Ohio State's going to string two wins together here, and this will be that second win. Now, this one has me a little worried because this is not your normal Syracuse team, and this is not your normal Stony Brook team. So Syracuse, Syracuse playing at Stony Brook in this game, nonetheless. Huge game for the Cuse. They have to get a win here. Losing to Hopkins last week 
that made it very difficult for them. They cannot lose another non-conference game, and they're going to have to pull out a couple of ACC games to be playoff eligible. And Stony Brook, they are not slouches at all. Palinetti is an absolute sniper. Kevin Mack can get shit done. Stony Brook is a quality team. Overall, offensively, I think Syracuse has the edge against Stony Brook, but it, it, for Syracuse, they have to take care of the ball and they have to put the ball in the back of the net. I think they hit nine pipes against Hopkins. They can't do that. They have to try to not hit the pipe and you know shoot the ball one inch you know, lower and one inch either left or right, depending on where they're running, running up and down the field from. So Cuse can't be hitting the pipes like crazy. It's, it's just not good music. And then in terms of the goalie battle, I would say that definite advantage goes to Stony Brook and Palma. Not the greatest goalie in the country, but right now he's got his team. You know, he's sitting at 52%, and both of Syracuse's goalies are well below 50%. That's been, they've been a mess in cage so far this season, sadly. Faceoff dot. Renz Conlon has been tough, man. I'd like to give Fop the edge. Fop is streaky. If, if Fop is going to win faceoffs in a game, he's going to smoke you. And then when he loses, sometimes he loses big. Fop has struggled, and teams have kind of started to figure out how to press him after he wins the draw. And he's kind of a threat and gets a little herky jerky after he wins a draw and, you know, is kind of always a danger to make a turnover. Um, but I still I like his chances of winning the bulk of the draws. It's going to come down to how many of those wins are going to become possessions for Syracuse overall. So I'm actually going to call this one a wash because you don't know what's going to happen. And Conlon has been very tough. If we look at who Conlon has faced so far, yeah, he hasn't really faced anybody. I'm going to change that. I'm going to say that Jacob Fopp has actually played a much better competition so far, and despite Conlon have a better, having a better win percentage, I'm going edge Fopp in this one. I take that back. And then defensively, Stony Brook is a, a very solid defensive team, and the way Syracuse has been playing defense the last couple of games, I call that a wash as well. So this is really going to come down to the goalie battle, and the faceoff dot, and then a little bit how much how often Syracuse turns the ball over. Now I'm not gonna I'm not picking Stony Brook to win this. I think I think legitimately Syracuse will win this game. I wouldn't be surprised if they come out and win this game big because they tend to play better when their backs are against the wall. You've seen numerous times this season they go down by multiple goals and then they end up you know kind of chipping back into the game. So you know so when their backs are against the wall, they can score goals and they play a little bit better because you know you have. Their uh, uh, Dordovic and, and Curry end up just kind of run, running shit and doing well with it. But it's it's going to be a tough one, man. I wouldn't be surprised to see Stony Brook eke out a one-goal game. I wouldn't be surprised to see Syracuse come out and beat them by 10. I don't think that's going to happen. I think this is going to be a three- to six-goal game in favor of Syracuse. But watch out for Stony Brook, man, because they are a solid, solid team out of the America East. I think this one will be good. I think we're, we've been waiting. High Point, you know, every year High Point loses a bunch of games early. They lost to Maryland, beat Colgate, lost to Virginia, beat Navy, lost to Duke. You know, so when you play the best team in the country, second best team in the country, maybe they're going to be the best team in the country. Um, and then you play Duke as well. You're going to lose some of those games, but they've handled their business against the teams they should beat. And now you got Carolina coming in here. Two High Point, nonetheless, playing at High Point. So I think the Asher Nolting and company, this is one of those games where Chris Gray isn't the undisputed best player on the field. Asher Nolting could absolutely stake claim to being one of the top three attack, whoa, excuse me, one of the top three attackmen in the country. In the end, I do think 
Carolina probably wins. But the kicker here is Carolina defensively has struggled. Will we see them play a little bit of zone? I think we've seen them play a little bit of zone so far this year. They are not going to have an answer for Asher Nolting. He is going to have his way with whoever is guarding him. So what it's going to come down to is how how effectively, how how what type of quality help defense can Carolina put out there? If they can play some good help defense, force Nolting to roll back and then bump the ball, that'll be great. But you got Nolting and his favorite white boy, Braden Maia, if if they can't keep their sticks on Nolting's hands as they're double teaming him and turning him around, and he's able to find Maia, it could end up being a fairly long day for the North Carolina offense. So I, I once again I keep saying this. I wouldn't be surprised if High Point wins. I think we got to call Carolina the favorite, two five goals, whatever. But I think High Point, as they've shown in the past, they can upset and hang with these big ACC teams. And is this the season they knock off Carolina, where they're struggling defensively and they're not quite as dangerous offensively overall. And that's it. That's all I'm going to talk about here. That was the live stream. This is the show. So uh, I will be back on Sunday. Be sure to come back Sunday. We'll do uh, recaps with highlights, and we'll talk about a buttload of Division One games. I'm trying to talk a little bit more about D2, D3 games as well, as you've seen. So come back Sunday morning, 10, 11 o'clock, by the time I get the show up on YouTube and on Spotify video will be posted to YouTube, Spotify, and Facebook as always, and then we'll throw clips up in other places and crap like that. So as always, thank you for watching. Thank you. Okay, Matthew Flint, Navy and Hopkins. I didn't talk about it yet, but because you asked for it, I'm going to talk about it right now before I sign off. So I got really close to signing off here. I like Hopkins in this. I think overall Navy is dangerous. I think Navy is a little bit better and more consistent defensively, but I think that Hopkins is just a little bit more battle-tested at this point. If we look at who each of these guys have lost to, the records are identical. Navy lost to Mount St. Mary's, High Point, and Lehigh. Hopkins' losses are to Georgetown, North Carolina, and Virginia. And then their wins are over Syracuse, Loyola, Towson, and Jacksonville, You know, whereas Navy's got wins over Mercer, Hoster, Manhattan. You know what I mean? So I think in this one, I was going to talk about it at first, and I was like, eh, I think Hopkins win wins this one by three to eight, something like that. I think Navy defensively will be good enough to keep things close overall. But then I think if you look at the goalie battle here, thank God, Hopkins has Kersan. Pat Ryan's been pretty good for Navy. And then at the faceoff dot, Hopkins has been – Tyler Dunn's been – you know, Hopkins has struggled at the faceoff dot and in cage for a while. So even though they're not lighting anything on fire with Dunn and with uh, uh, Kersan in cage, they've at least given them a little bit, little bit of stability. And I think that offensively they've struggled, Hopkins has at times. And I think defensively in cage and at the faceoff dot, they've been a little bit more consistent. But I do – I like Hopkins – overall uh, to beat Navy, although I think that it will be a semi-close game, and that's how we'll roll. So Matthew Flint, I will. Uh, I, 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 I got the, uh, the Hopkins Navy in for you here after I saw it. Now I'm done, though, fools. So I'm getting the hell out of here. I'm going to go drink myself a couple more uh, fiddleheads on the back porch, watch the kids play, yell at them a little bit. Maybe I'll beat my family a little bit here. Uh, I kid. I kid. I'd probably get flagged and taken off of YouTube for, for making that joke here. Probably wasn't funny either, but, you know, deal with it. So that's it. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Listen, uh, come back Sunday for the Not Live um, recap show where we'll, re we'll recap at least 10 to 15 games uh, that are being played between Friday and Saturday. I'll probably talk about this game from Friday and then the rest of them from Saturday. So that's it. Be sure to come back and watch that. And Hoost is out. <laughs>